Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Tales from Tolt. My name is Dwayne Davidson, your host. This is a program where we discuss the fascinating and rich history of that place we call the Sonoma Valley, basically from Monroe to North Bend. everybody this is Dwayne Davidson your host uh, Tales from Tolt and today we have a, a special guest we have uh, Lois Haddock who is uh, the daughter of uh, the Ronies that lived on a historic farm that is uh, just south of uh, Duval. Welcome Lois. Thank you it's an honor to be here. Uh, your family is one of the pioneer families truly uh, the farm goes back well over 100 years now originally settled so a lot to talk about, about the Roney family. By the way, for clarification to our listeners, there are another family that's prominent in the, in the Duval area of Ronies, and they spell their name, their nationality is a little bit different, and, they're, uh, uh, and they spell their last name with a Y instead of an E-I, like this, uh, like this family does. Lois, at the time that your grandfather came to here, to, the, to this area, there was a very primitive road most of the transportation was done by either horseback or by steamboat. It was south of Duval, north of Carnation. So it wasn't in, around any kind of real civilization much of all. What on earth made him just stop and say, this is the place? Yeah, I don't know. He actually came over here early on, probably like in the late 1800s, to check out the valley. Uh, with his, I, He had two brothers that were here. I don't know if they came with him or if they were already here. Uh, I think he knew the qualls as well. And so anyway, so he came out here to make sure that the, it was okay. And uh, coincidentally, it, Valley looks so much like where he was born in Norway. Uh, my sister and mom and I went back to Norway and were actually able to go up where he was born. And it, 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 it was like two, a valley with, but of course, and then they had a fjord, but we have a river and it was very, very similar. It was all kind of damp <laughs> and wet. Uh, and I think that I think I even saw a slug over there, but I'm not sure. But <laughs> so anyway, so then he then he went back home and or went back to Norway and then grabbed grandma and the kids and um, brought them out here. And I, I think I think that they I think they went through Ellis Island somehow or other. They ended up in uh, St. Louis and then they took a train, I believe, from there or somewhere uh, over here. So you uncovered a lot there. Let's talk about this. First of all, your trip back to Norway when you went back to the original farm. Are there uh, family members there still? You know, we didn't meet any, but Dwayne, my younger brother, uh, went back there like a few years ago. Uh, and he went with our cousin and she had met, been there before. And so there are quite a few, actually. Uh, we have lots of relatives back there. We just went to the farm and then we didn't stay there too long, which was, you know, we kick ourselves for not doing that. But yeah, there's relatives back there. I'm actually on Facebook with a couple of them. Okay, good. And so you said that your grandfather uh, grabbed the kids and came out here. So one of those kids was mm -hmm. presumably your father. Approximately how old was your father when he came? Okay, the well, they came out here in 1902. And my dad was a baby. He was born in 1901. Oh, so, so just an I, I don't know how old he was. Well, I think he, I, if I remember correctly, some somebody said he was like nine months old. Wow. And your and your grandparents' names were my dad. My grandpa's name was Christ. 
C-H-R-I-S-T, and my grandma's name was Christina. Her maiden name was Ovalde, which is also Norwegian because she's from back there too, you know? Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about them for just a minute. So were uh, either of them alive that uh, when, when you were, so you have any recollections? My grandpa had died before, uh, before any of us kids were born. And then uh, I think he had cancer or something, but who knows? Uh, my grandma lived to be like 93 years old. And so we all knew her. And she had actually lived in the little house next to the Dwayne's current house uh, on 203. And then she moved when, after her husband and, and after she got a little bit older, she moved into Seattle with one of her widowed daughters. And then she passed away at 93. It was amazing. She was just oh. a cute little lady. <laughs> so what kind of personality did she have? Because uh, uh, did she, well, let me just ask this question. How much did she reflect back and convey to you kids the heritage of uh, being Norwegian and being from Norway? Did she cook some Norwegian dishes and all that? I mean, uh, can you elaborate on that? Well, actually, she didn't. And actually, I think that they didn't really want us to know that much about Norway because they wanted us to be Americanized, which mm -hmm. we all were. And, you know, it was sort of unfortunate that we didn't learn Norwegian. But uh, but we did through just the Norwegian uh, ancestry. We learned that Ludafisk and Lefse was the thing for for Christmas Eve and Krumkaka, which is a um, dessert sort of a cookie, uh, we, I still make that. Dwayne, my brother, makes that. Or wait a minute, Bonnie does. Never mind. And um, we have uh, sandbockles and, and a whole bunch of different things that we still make here. But um, the Ludafisk and Lefses are most honored, <laughs> which you either have to hate or whatever. Yeah, I get, like it. It develop a taste for so like I uh, alluded to earlier, uh, transportation was pretty primitive when they came. The railroads had not been put through yet. They were about a decade away from being uh, uh, the two railroads, the Milwaukee Road and the Great Northern Road. Great Northern Railroad was about a decade away yet. And so um, they were kind of in an isolated place. And, it, it, and we talked about this a little bit earlier um they probably to get to any kind of a church service was hard so they uh, uh they immediately established their own church a lutheran church can you elaborate a little bit more about what you know about that well i've read that my grandma who was norwegian and lutheran wanted to have a lutheran church and she was instrumental in organizing the a church down by what the novelty store was i'm not i'm not sure where it was located uh but it was up on a hill i from what i understand and it was gone by the time I got, uh, when I was born. So uh, I don't know how, but, and I think they did the, uh, the service in Norwegian too. There were a lot of Norwegians in the Valley. Uh, and I, I don't know how many actually came to the church, but because they probably didn't, they'd have to walk mm -hmm. or take a horse. I don't know. Yeah. And it probably was a very limited con congregation because it was just local people. And so when, a transportation became more available, roads were improved, the railroad was there and other kind of means. It was probably decided that it wasn't really that practical to have their own little church and it was disbanded. And you told me yeah. yesterday in a conversation something I found really interesting uh, of what happened to that dismantled church. Well, the wood, unlike it, like today, was recycled and put, uh, it was over at Pickering's Barn. It, it, there was a shed that was built 
And I don't know if the shed is still there either. I don't know if that actually was recycled again. But um, yeah, they don't. They didn't throw anything away back then. It was, I think it that's was, wonderful. I think it's a good use of a yeah. former church. And I even read uh, uh, up in pre preparation for our talk today. Read up a little bit about novelty history, and there was one uh, one person that even said that the baptismal uh, fount was actually put out in a certain place and was used as a bird bath. They made it for the birds to be able to refresh themselves. And I think there's something very poetic about that too, because. Uh, <laughs> They found church services in other places by that time, and there was no longer a need for this little church. And they put it all to good. Uh, they put it all to good use. Very, very good and frugal people. So, so yeah. you mentioned about the novelty store. Um, novelty was like a little community at that time, with a school and a, a, a and a store and a, a church. So about everything that you need. Um, the novelty store is something that I can barely uh, recall. Uh, it was vacant when I was a boy. Um, and then it burnt down uh, when I was like in a middle school. And uh, for a long time, you could see when you drove by 203, you could see this big concrete retaining wall there, kind of the, where, the, where the store had, when they cleaned it all up, the fire debris, and they cleaned it all up. Mm. But, um, but when you were growing up, that store was in operation, was it not? Oh yes. Okay. So, um, I, and by the way, I have, I have three siblings. What the oldest is Bonnie, then Jerry, and then Dwayne. I'm in the middle between Jerry and Dwayne, but so Jerry and I were about this, we were just 13 months apart. So we were the dynamic duo <laughs> and we would ride our bikes down to the store and pick up pop bottles or beer bottles or whatever. And we take them to the store and they had the, the, the grocery store was grocery or hardware and everything else store mercantile was in the middle of the building and the and to the to the south side was there was a garage down below and an upstairs that had uh, my mother was uh, part of the voting personnel and then they had dances up there from what I understand and then the north side was their living quarters so anyway, so Jerry and I would go down to the store with our little pot bottles, which we got a penny for each one. And then we go up to the counter. And by that time, Mr. Hogle would have to leave because he couldn't deal with us because we would have Mrs. Hogle saying, we want two of those and three. No, we want, maybe we want two of those and four. No. And so we kept, she was okay with, well, as far as I know, she was okay with that. So we'd end up with like three Tootsie Rolls and some bubble gum or something and ride our bikes back home. And that was, and, and then they had these two gas, uh, gas things out front too, what, that had the glass tops. I apparently pumped the gas up to the gallons or whatever, and then you drain it down in your car. I never did know how that worked, but yeah, that was really sad because I, I, I had actually left the premises because I was graduated and in town at that point in time. So I wasn't there when the thing burnt down, but it was really sad to hear about that because yeah, we, we enjoyed right. going there. At those old country stores were uh, so the Grange store and Carnation kind of, which I remember, uh, was kind of reminiscent yeah. to that. And there was a country store similar to that up at Lopez Island where my dad lives. And I remember, I don't know if it was that store or which one of them, but it was a country store that had jeans and, uh, you know, different kind of yes. clothing and, uh, and, and tools and food. And just about everything you need. And I can remember this one store. And I, th I, I, I hope I'm right about this. I think it was a Richardson store in Lopez Island, but I'm not sure. Uh, it had a big sign that says, if you can't find it, you don't really need it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> that was kind of like the Howard Miller store in Carnation. If you if you wanted something, you just asked him. He would go and pick it out right then. But if yeah, you were there, you be there for days and years trying to find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a good store, and and it was really the center of community because, like you said, there was a meeting hall upstairs where they uh, held Grange meetings. According to the history books, they held Grange meetings in there. Yeah. You even said that uh, your mother or grandmother worked. Your mother, I think, was a poll worker uh, for the elections. Yeah. And she and the yes. elections were held there for that precinct, right? Yes, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so she was able to, she, she would count them, and then I think she would take them to Fall City, where somebody would pick them up or whatever. Mm-hmm. She did that a long time, even after the the Dumbledore store had burned out. She went to Duval or something and worked worked the voting thing. Yeah, yeah. I remember being with great pride, uh, uh, being able to vote my very first election. Uh, I went to the polls in the Carnation Elementary School and. There, my grandma Mitchell was as a poll worker, which she had done for like thirty years, and uh, and uh, uh, so that was that was kind of neat to see my grandmother there. Uh, she she was our uh, superintendent of our school Sunday school for a long time, Helen mm-hmm. Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. so I knew her. We went then we went to the Methodist church after apparently after the Lutheran church burned down, down in Duval. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so that was really kind of the center of community and where uh, you could uh, um, get anything that you needed. We talked a little bit about the, there was a, there was also a school. Uh, the school changed a couple of times. I guess the original one was built up behind uh, Gronenweg's house, uh, or I mean, I'm sorry, Gertzman's house. Um, and then the later two schools, the schools of any kind of size and prominence, were built on on the uh, cemetery road um, uh, up to the hill. And um, before we take a break, we have time to to uh, hear a, a good story that I know you have to share about one time your dad tried to get. Uh, uh, well, I'll just let you tell it. Okay, so so dad was they had to walk up to school, which was really close to where we lived, or what here he lived. And the boys up there decided that they didn't want to go to school that day. So they got some cloths or rags or whatever, and they went up on the roof of the schoolhouse that had a pot-bellied stove for warmth and stuffed the rags in the chimney. And so when they started the fire, it would sort of back the smoke would back into the classroom. And so they were excused for the day. But my dad said he didn't do it. Was <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> uh, he laughed well, after when he said that. So. Yeah, one unique way of getting out of uh, uh, getting out of a school. So uh, uh, we're going to take a break just for a couple of minutes, and when we come back, we'll continue to talk about the uh, the Ronies of uh, of Duval, Washington. Be right back. You're listening to Valley one hundred four point nine FM, your station for Northwest eclectic music. Hi. I'm Seth Shostak, and I'm an actual scientist, although I don't wear a white lab coat. Maybe a straitjacket. I'm Molly Bentley. I'm a science journalist, and we are your hosts on Big Picture Science, bringing you the latest from the labs every week. So join us Thursdays at 6 p.m. for the coolest in science and technology, Big Picture Science. That's Thursdays at 6 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9 FM. Welcome back. We're continuing the discussion with uh, Lois Haddock about the uh, Roney south of uh, Duval, right on 203, a historic farm of the Duval area. 
And uh, we kind of skimmed over. We talked about your grandparents. We talked about your parents. Uh, uh, there's a couple of discussions. How did your dad, and if your dad came over from Norway, he obviously met your mom here. Uh, can you tell us how, how did that occur? Okay, well, actually, um, mom was from South Dakota and her, her, I think it was her mom's sister who was married and out here at Stanwood and Aunt Carrie was her name. And she was sick. And so because mom was the oldest of, of her family of 18 brothers and sisters um, and the most available one, they actually sent her out here to Stanwood to take care of Aunt Carrie while she was sick. And then my dad, uh, my, okay, so Carrie was married to a Roni, which was one of my grandpa's brothers. And so dad was taking grandma up to see them and ran into mom up there and there was nothing that clicked right away. But then she, but they had a son named Orvi who they got along with my sister, my mom and my mom and Orvi got along really well with. And then when, after she went back to South Dakota, she apparently decided she wanted to go back out and stay with Orvi for a while. And they traveled quite a bit, him and his wife and her traveled quite a bit. And then apparently they met dad. Then she met dad again and then, and there you are. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> and they got married in 1939 at the Finney Ridge Lutheran Church. I don't know why I remember that, but that was something that they mentioned. Well, that's, and they that's had a honeymoon up in Harrison Hot Springs, too. I remember that, too, which is coming out. Yeah. It, it surprises me. You talked about them going back and forth. I, I'm surprised when I do genealogy of my own family and help other people with theirs. I'm actually surprised about how mobile the people actually were. We kind of tend to think of people, but they actually did to take the train. When the train became available, I think it was so new to people and a rather inexpensive way to travel. And a lot of people traveled the Midwestern states and back and forth uh, quite often. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we talked about now your immediate family. Were there other family members um, uh, uh, in, the, in the area? Yeah, John was the one up on Stanwood. And then we think it's Andrew was the one who lived in Fall City and actually uh, had the Fall City Saloon, which I have a picture of the saloon. And, and him and his wife had a, had a child named Peter. And then they, they, got, they were there in 1918 and they got the flu and they both, mm -hmm. both parents died from the flu. And so Peter then was raised by, by my, with my dad and, and my grandma's family. So, and he just recently, he, well, he died a while. He's actually at Fall City as well as, as his parents, so. Yeah, that wow, that's really sad, profound, especially with today when we see everything going on. I know. Because influenza, you, we, we really, uh, I mean, you read anything about the history of that time period right before World War I, and it was really devastating to the community. And there was a person who was made a, a basically an orphan, lost both parents. Yeah, Pretty really, profound. yeah. Yeah. So let's have, uh, so uh, folks, so you understand that are listening about, uh, because we really haven't drilled down. I think you've kind of deducted about where uh, we're talking about. The, uh, the Roni farm is uh, south of Duval, immediately past the, um, or not immediately past, but uh, just a little bit past the uh, roundabout on your way to Carnation, the roundabout at uh, 124th. And that was the site of the area that we were just talking about where the Nolvay store and the church was at. And then you went a little bit further and the Roni's place was both uh, and still is 
uh, like Lois has said, her younger brother uh, is, um, is actually still uh, taking care of the farm. And the farm was actually, um, it looks kind of weird because it is split up by two or three. Most of the buildings and some of the uh, upper land was um, on one side and all the pastures where the cows would eat their grass was on the other. And um, mm -hmm. you, you, tell, you told me an interesting story uh, before our recording about why they built the buildings on the hill and not out in the floodplain like a lot of farmers did. Do you want to share that? Well, actually, the, the road, the, the original road, it was above the house. And you can kind of see it if you look and you know where to look. You can see where it's all level in one spot. And it actually it goes all the way down to Duval. Um, and so they just built it up there. The only thing that they had was the railroad track between their house and where the, the cows were going to be until uh, later. I don't know exactly when it was, when 203 was put in front of our house. I think I was alive then, but I, I don't remember uh, exactly what year it was. I think but, I, yes. I, so the cows. We were going to talk about the cows too, and how did, how they got across two hundred three after right. the road was put in. And as a kid, I remember that Dad had two signs, and and both of them said cattle crossing, and then he had to put one towards Carnation and the other one towards Duval, and they were white, and I think he had reflectors on them. And he had to bring the cows over, uh, probably cross the road, maybe at about six o'clock in the morning and then take them back. And he put both of them out there. They went across the, and then again in the afternoon. So there, but there wasn't that many cars back then. We have never, to my knowledge, ever had an incident where anybody plowed into a cow or killed anything or anything. So it was like uh, people were maybe, maybe they didn't have that much uh, octane or something. I don't mm -hmm. know. But yeah, so, and it was just routine. We just, we didn't know that uh, the 203 was going to get so heavy. And for anyway. some of the listeners out there that may not have much uh, knowledge about dairy farming or dairy cows, the reason why Lois is talking about the twice a day is that's when you milk the cows. You had to milk milk, you had to milk cows twice a day. And so they were brought across to where the barns were at, where you did the milking. And then they were taken back uh, forth. And I think the 203 actually is put through when one of the two railroads that used to go by there was abandoned and they moved the road down onto the old roadbed, according to one of our historians, local historians, Alan Miller, that yeah. that's when 203 got shifted to uh, the, to the uh, bottom. Uh, but I can't even imagine uh, looking at that road today and seeing the traffic. I stopped to see your brother two years ago and I actually had to wait there for like 10 minutes to get onto the road because there was so much traffic. And to think that your your dad and your grandfather brought cows across there twice a day and not incident. And actually talking about cows on the road, you told me another interesting <laughs> story that uh, twice a year, take them to um, cows that were not producing milk, heifers, young cows growing up and steers and others, were taken for a summer pasture. And so they were taken up in the spring and brought back in the fall. And you wanna tell a little bit about that experience and who helped out with all that? Okay, well, we had, there was two other families that lived down below us and, the, and one of them was Carnes's and that's where Cooks are now. And the other one was Sins and that's where Mall is now, if anybody knows those people. So they actually had, we had some joint cattle going across and the kids and the parents we had to actually walk those cattle down down past Novelty Store. It's, it's at the foot of uh, 
the old, the big rock road where there's another red barn on the left. And so we had to take them all the way from here down to there and then down just a little ways and uh, maybe about a quarter of a mile and then into the field where they, they spent their summer. And then, then later on, then we had to, to go back and you know corral them and bring them back. So we, we always walked down there. I don't think anybody drove. Uh, and even, you know, parents, or at least the guys would do that. I mean, the, the fathers would be their moms were, they didn't have to do that. Yeah. They were exempt. They were canning. And, yeah, as kids we <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's amazing. Yeah. So if, if you came up on that as traffic, you would have to wait. And because there was a cow, and maybe the cows would walk on the softer part of the road and be on the side and maybe people could get by eventually. But it was obviously a different time when they were, we were parading herds of cattle down uh, that would get that would get some excitement and probably get a helicopter from Cairo News out <laughs> to talk about the traffic disturbance uh, on uh, uh, on 203 uh, in today's. Yeah. We, we didn't we didn't uh, finish our thought about why was the barns eventually built on the high ground? Well, OK, because the the, the bottom would flood and. Um, but a house was attempted down there at one time, right? You're, you didn't did didn't you tell me in a previous conversation that uh, that uh, oh, one well when when they when grandma and grandpa first came over when grandma first came over what they because there, there was no houses at that point in time so grandma was put down in the Carnes's house which is next to the river down in the valley that's where they that's where she was actually first uh, housed or whatever the kids and all. And she had that uh, during the winter time, the floods came and came up to her, the top of her steps. And she told grandpa, apparently in no uncertain terms that she was not going to stay there another year. Uh, and so then they, they got busy. And, and I, I think, I'm not sure that, I think that they started the small house first just because it wouldn't take so long. Although I think there was 11 kids or something in his family too. So that been a little bit cramped, but anyway, and then they started the big house uh, which um, I think was, I think it was finished in like a few years. I mean, it didn't take very long. And then there was another building between between the big White House and the barns that are there right now that I, I heard about for a long time that the horses were housed in and that type of thing. But I, I don't remember any of that. I was too young or I don't know if I was even here yet. And then we had the big red barn and then there was a barn behind that that dad and, and a bunch of people put up and it was just made with like uh, just trees and then, you know, you could actually see where the trees were there and then they, they cut some cut some of it to make it level and and it was falling because they there's so many springs in the hill that, it, that the underneath it was just mud. Mm -hmm. So it was sort of leaning towards the road and instead of having it fall down on its own, they took it down and then then my younger brother Dwayne actually had a another sort of similar looking barn put up where it's uh, cement and um, and he has his his uh, cars and stuff in there. But Very, yeah, it was uh, kind of fun. Yeah, interesting story uh, about the relocation because just in a previous episode of this program, I interviewed uh, Bridge Stewart, uh, the great grandson of uh, the founder of Carnation Farms, and he was telling me oh. about when. Uh, they established Carnation Farms at the very first. The farmstead was down at the bot right on the river, which were the where they called the cattery, where they did the cat trials and stuff like this. Mm. It was um, a way. It was on the riverbank basically, 
And um, Mr. Stewart came out at the very first, uh, uh, when it was brand new farm and the cows were standing in water and it was flooding. And he said, don't we own that hillside? And they said, yes, sir. And he <laughs> said, well then build the barns there. <laughs> and they did. And now there's this huge barn at Carnegie Farms. And it's the exact similar story about what happened to your relatives. As I said, your, your, your uh, grandmother said, uh, I think there's a hill over there we own, build the barn there. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yes, we're going over to that hill. We're going east, young man. <laughs> so did was gardening done? Uh, gardens were such an important part of uh, everything. Did you have a garden down in the flats in the very fertile ground or was it up near the house? We had a big, we had, a, okay, we had an orchard down there and a big garden down on the, the, the bottom land or whatever. And us kids had had to actually pick the weeds and be down there in the summertime with our little hats on and hope, you know, get the weeds out. Um, and then, then uh, later on, my dad actually put a garden between the road and the, the railroad, which is, which my younger brother still keeps, keeps it up um, between the two. And basically we were organic before organic was popular because we had beef, beef from the cows. We had milk, whole milk, we had sometimes mom would make butter, not often, but but every now and then we had garden stuff. We had fruit. Mom would can and we'd have all the canning stuff down in the basement. So they, I think the only thing she really bought was flour. She said it's oftentimes made bread too, homemade bread with homemade. Oh, there's nothing that smells a house better than that. That's it. I know. There's no curbing yeah. carbs when there's fresh made bread in the house. You cannot <laughs> possibly curb. This has been a delightful time talking about really wonderful family and what really makes me so happy about this uh, interview is to hear that after all these years, the farm is very still much in the good, uh, careful, uh, uh, caretaking hands of families like you, like yourself and yeah. a portion of it and your brother, Dwayne, taking care of the main thing that we too often hear about him being sold off, not appreciated, developed, whatever. And it really yeah. delights me to know that the tradition continues. And so the whole farm, the whole farm is, is still under the roadie, you know, because I'm on, I'm behind him on the north or the east 20 acres and Bonnie actually uh, was given the other property of, but that her she's divided it between her daughter and her son so it's still basically Roni farm and it's over it's pretty much about 100 acres so that is really it, really neat yeah I'm back home <laughs> <laughs> well Lois has been a delight uh, talking to you thank you so much for uh, joining me today thank you for having me uh, and folks uh, make sure to tune in this program will broadcast again at uh, Sunday at 4.30. Remember that our program is now being broadcast twice a week uh, at Mondays at 6 and Sundays at 4.30. Until next week, uh, uh, take care and please join us next week as we continue to explore the rich history of the Snoqualmie Valley. Bye, folks.